Good morning. Good to be with you this morning. Grab your Bibles and go with me to John chapter 14. John chapter 14, as you're making your way there, I'll uh, just say two things to you at the outset this morning. One is a reminder, today is Palm Sunday, and as Lance mentioned a moment ago, that means next Sunday is Easter, and so excited for you to celebrate Easter with us. And we've been asking you to attend one and serve one, and we're going to continue to do that so that we can make sure we meet all those needs. But I would be remiss if I didn't remind you, this is the best opportunity that we have to be in inviting others to join us. So let's make sure that we fill up our neighborhoods all over Collin and Denton County with those signs in our yards. That's an easy way for you to invite people just as they drive by, walk by. They can see, hey, there's a church service if we want to attend uh, Easter this year. And then you can take all of those invite cards and walk your neighborhoods, hand them out in your offices, in your classrooms. I'm just encouraging you. Statistics tell us people are most open to a church invitation at Easter every year. So let's make sure we take advantage of that. Empty those tables today as we're dismissed. I also want to update you on our Proclaim initiative. If you are relatively new to Prestonwood um, or maybe you're a guest with us this morning, welcome. Our Proclaim initiative is a two-year spiritual journey our church is undertaking that is allowing us to expand ministries to accommodate all of the people that God is entrusting to our care. We're going to be able to expand our worship center to accommodate more, elevate the worship experience in the room. We're at a significant square footage of children's ministry space through the relocation of staff offices directly across the street. And then we're adding parking so that we can uh, be a forward-facing, community-facing uh, campus and be able to serve the needs of those who are coming here. And thus far, you all have responded, and uh, I want to say thank you. Right now, to date, we have over a 1,000 uh, of you that have committed to Proclaim, and we have raised $9,263,000 in commitments thus far. Yeah, so we should celebrate that and so grateful uh, to all of you that are participating with us in Proclaim. I also want to take a moment to challenge you. If you have not yet turned in your pledge commitment, you have not yet had an opportunity to get on board with what God is doing, our ask is $10 million. And so we do not want to miss any of the opportunity. We don't want to have to cut scope because of a lack of funding. And I want to be a part of this work that God is doing. I would much rather at the end of this effort say, I'm so glad that I did, instead of, man, I wish I had. And so I want to encourage you, don't miss the blessing of getting on board with what God is doing uh, through Proclaim. Now, as I mentioned a moment ago, this is Palm Sunday, historically celebrated in the Christian church as the day when Jesus rode the donkey through that triumphal processional into Jerusalem. People were waving palm branches and uh, honoring Jesus and giving him uh, shouts of praise. They were shouting Hosanna, as you just heard us sing a moment ago, which means save now. And ironically enough, on that Sunday, just a few days later, many in that same crowd would move from shouting save us to crucify. What a week that Jesus would have. And as we've been the last several weeks in the upper room, that is a Thursday night event of this same uh, Easter week. And so Sunday, Jesus marches into Jerusalem with that uh, triumphal entry. And on Thursday night, he gathers with his disciples to celebrate the Passover meal in that upper room. And what we've seen the last several weeks is Jesus have a very heavy conversation with a lot of tense moments where he has said some things that have rendered those in the room dining with him that night 
to be quite uncomfortable with some of the things that have been addressed. And uh, last week we talked about Jesus reminding the disciples of the necessity we would all have to find our faith rooted in him. And Jesus said, when your faith is founded in me, it'll evidence itself as a faith in practice. In other words, you'll look like me and you'll be empowered like I'm empowered. So if it mattered to Jesus, it should matter to us. And the same Holy Spirit that fueled the life and ministry of Jesus is available to you and I. But not only just faith in practice, Jesus said, and your faith is going to evidence itself in prayer. And so last week we had a significant moment of personal prayer because we understand that a faith in prayer is a a prayer of alignment, right? That Jesus would repeat over and over, I am in the Father and the Father is in me. So there is this alignment between God the Son and God the Father. And when we find our faith in the Son, then we have aligned ourselves with God. And there is a, a prayer of objective. Jesus said, my aim is to bring glory to God the Father. And so we said, okay, we want to pray in such a way that it makes it easy for Jesus to say yes. And in that, we can then ask anything. And so we did last Sunday, a lot of us, we asked our anything of Jesus. And today we're going to pay attention to really what is the last few words that Jesus is going to say before the dinner concludes. In fact, if you want to keep reading through the balance of chapter 14, you'll just see in the last few verses, Jesus said, rise, let's go. In other words, dinner's over. And they're about to head back over across the Kidron Valley and into Bethany. Jesus will actually stop along the way and pray in a garden called Gethsemane. And that's where he would actually be arrested by temple soldiers and then led off to the house of the high priest where he is illegally tried. And that would set into motion what would come about as his crucifixion that would lead us to his burial and ultimately the resurrection we will celebrate next week. And and in these last few moments, just these last few words as a part of this final conversation, now is when Jesus is going to introduce what is the greatest gift God has given to those who belong to him outside of their salvation, which actually is the only means by which we can receive this gift he is going to introduce to us today. Jesus is going to talk about the gift of his Holy Spirit. And there's a significant reason why Jesus is going to address the necessity of the power of this great gift that God gives in the sending of his spirit to those who belong to him. Because Jesus is going to be leaving his disciples physically, and so he wants to impart to them the great gift of the Holy Spirit, which inhabits them spiritually. And there's something significant about someone leaving something intangible like that behind when they have left your physical presence. Like, for example, my dad went to heaven in 2017. And yet, even today, I still carry with me these great memories, these great moments that I enjoyed with my dad, where he would teach me and coach me and disciple me and pour into me. My dad made spiritual deposits in my life that actually I'm still drawing upon even now. And so even though my dad's address has changed and he is in heaven, he has gone physically, then spiritually there is something that he has left behind, which is this great instruction, these great moments, this great teaching that was a part of my life all along the way. And that is what Jesus is going to explain to his disciples in the great gift that God sends through his Holy Spirit. So John chapter 14, and we'll pick it up together in verse 15. And and y'all know me, I'm going to read and we're going to stop and talk, and then we'll read and stop and talk. And then I promise you we'll get to the meat of the morning here in just a moment. John chapter 14, let's read together starting in verse 15. If you're there, say, I got it. Here we go. 
If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Okay, last time, Jesus tying the bow around this idea of faith and practice, he says, listen, if it mattered to me, it should matter to you. If you love me, then, then do what I love. Obey me. He goes on, he says, and I will ask the Father and he'll give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Now, it should be noted that Jesus is not saying that it is conditional upon the disciples' obedience of his commands for the Father to send the Holy Spirit. That would be a works-based trade, or it would be like a quid pro quo for God's grace. What he's saying is that the how the disciples are going to be able to be obedient to what it is that Jesus has commanded is because God the Father is going to send them this great gift that is his Holy Spirit. Pick it up in 18. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Now, if you mark or highlight in your Bibles, and you should, get all of 18. Just highlight or underline all of it because it is a significant promise that we can still cling to today. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. Now, Jesus is giving a foreshadow to his resurrection. He said, in a little while, nobody's going to see me, but you are going to see me because I live. And because I live, you're going to live. In that day, you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, now in your Bibles, you probably see a parenthetical here. That is a scribal entry, probably sometime after the fact. It's simply for the purposes of us knowing this is not Judas Iscariot. So Jesus had his 12 disciples, and then there was others that were a part of that group that traveled around and did life and ministry with Jesus. The Gospels are specific to give us the names of those 12 disciples that were a part of that inner circle, but there was a much larger group that traveled and ministered and learned from Jesus along the way, including somebody else named Judas. But we know it's not Iscariot because that Judas has already betrayed Jesus and awkwardly run out of the room. And so Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him. Now watch. And we will come to him and make our home with him. If you mark or highlight in your Bibles, underline we and our in verse 23, underline we and our. And the reason is because what you're going to see, the promise we underlined in verse 18, Jesus begins to explain the explanation of it in 23. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you. But the Helper... The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Again, I want to encourage you to underline all of verse 27 because that is a promise of Jesus we can cling to. And there are some of us in the room here this morning who need to cling to the promise of promised peace. You heard me say to you, I'm going away and I will come to you. And if you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I'm going to the Father. For the Father is greater than I. And now I've told you before it takes place so that when it does take place, you may believe. There are three significant promises here that Jesus makes to his disciples at the conclusion of this upper room discourse. Remember, a conversation 
that is um, tense to be sure because of what Jesus has said and tense because of no doubt the situation and circumstance in that room which that conversation has made people feel. Remember what it is, Jesus washed their feet and then he said some hard things and he said, somebody's going to deny me. Peter argues with him. Jesus said, before breakfast, you're going to do it. And then Judas actually is the one who is revealed to be the betrayer, gets up, runs awkwardly out of the room. Jesus says, hey, but listen, I'm going to leave and go and prepare a place for you. I'm going to the place of preparation, which will lead you to a place of destination. And if I go once, I'm going to come again. He talks about the second advent. And then he says, and I'm the way that a person can, can have that. John 14, 6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, right? And then Jesus migrates into the necessity of faith, which we talked about last week, which leads us to the conversation that we're going to see today. Jesus said, but I'm going to promise you there are some things you can cling to in the midst of the difficulty that you are having to hear. Here's the first promise Jesus makes. It's a promise for divine help. Jesus promises divine help. I'll show it to you again. Look at verses 16 and 17. And I'll ask the Father... And he will give you another helper to be with you. To be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. This idea of divine help is the person and the work of God's Holy Spirit. Jesus explains even further, verses 25 and 26. He says, not only is the helper from God, but he's from God in my name. Look again at verse 25 and 26. These things I've spoken to you while I'm with you. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he's going to teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So the significance of the help that Jesus promises God is going to send is in the person of the Holy Spirit, the helper. And so there's some things about this promise of divine help that we should pay attention to. The first is this, that the helper is another but of the same kind. The helper is another, but of the same kind. Now, this is significant. I'm going to show it to you, and I'm going to try not to nerd out on you. So just lock in for a sec, okay? So the word in the Greek here for helper is the Greek word paraclete. Turn to your neighbor and say paraclete. Boy, we've got a bunch of Greek scholars in the room. Well done. All right. It's paraclete. Now, it can be translated to mean helper, advocate, counselor, comforter, teacher, guide. This is what it means for us to understand the gift of the Holy Spirit. He is our paraclete. But the word that Jesus says which modifies paraclete is the Greek word alos. It means another, but it means another of the same kind. Now, here's why that's significant. You ready? Because Jesus said, in the way that I have been your paraclete up until now physically, right? Jesus has been our advocate. He has been our teacher. He's been our comforter, our counselor, our guide. That in that same way, there is another coming, but he's just like me. He's just like me. So in all the ways that Jesus advocates and counsels and comforts and teaches and guides, the Holy Spirit will do as well. He is another, but he is another of the same kind. And, and it's important for us to understand and embrace this, church, because you understand the consequence if we don't. If we don't understand that the paraclete is, uh, that the uh, Holy Spirit is alos paraclete, that he is another but of the same kind, then we will relegate him in our minds to being a junior varsity God. 
Because we'll think, well, God the Father is amazing, and he spoke the world into existence, and he brought all things to being, and he sent his son because of his great love for us to provide for us a perfect life we couldn't live and a sacrificial death that we deserved. And then he raised to victory uh, to give us everlasting life. And, and, and so we'll see God the Father and God the Son as the gods that we want, but God the Holy Spirit, who is the God that Christ has given to us, we will relegate to a role that we believe to be so much less. But Jesus says he is allos paraclete. He is another but he's another just like me. And so it's important that we understand that so that we appreciate and embrace what it is that God has given us through the gift of his Holy Spirit. The helper is another, but of the same kind. Here's the second reality. The helper, the helper will be with us forever. The helper will be with us forever. Look at verse 16. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Some of you need to underline that phrase in your Bible because I believe that, this God, that God has this word for you today. It means that if you belong to God through faith in Jesus Christ, there is never a moment of any part of all of your life that you are alone, ever. Right? Because he is, he is with us, not sometimes, not in the best times, not in occasional moments, but forever. And I will tell you, here's where this, the, rubber met the, uh, the rubber meets the road, maybe. And it has met it in the past, okay? So just go with it. Uh, during COVID, when we were at the height of COVID, and I was trying to minister to people that were in the ICU and unable to have any visitors, and so nurses that I could only describe to be wearing hazmat gear would hold up that individual's phone on FaceTime so that I could pray with them. And several of those people whom I prayed with never left that ICU. When I'm crying out to God and the family is unable to go and visit their loved one who is literally dying in that room, the only thing we can cling to is this promise that while I can't be there and even their loved ones can't be there, the Holy Spirit has never gone away. And some of you need to hear that word today because you are riddled with guilt because you haven't been there in those moments. And listen, the Holy Spirit was. He's always there. He's always been there. He will be with you forever. Some of you feel like you're in a moment of loneliness and isolation even now. And I promise you, the God of the Bible declares that he is with you forever. Forever. And the only thing in that moment when I'm praying over FaceTime with someone that I'm not certain is going to make it out is that I can cling to the reality that in my absence, God's presence is there. You with me? I talked to a man on our deacon body just a few moments ago who had to pray with his mom and say goodbye on his iPad during COVID. And he's been riddled with guilt ever since because of the separation and the inability they had to connect. And maybe this morning, God will bring some healing to somebody's heart here today with the reminder that the paraclete was there. He's always there. The helper will be with us forever. Here's the third reality I would want you to see. The helper is not only with us, but he lives in us. Not only is he with us, but he lives in us. Look at verse 17. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. So you remember that Jesus told his disciples that the world is going to know that you belong to me because of how you love one another. And, and I would say that even on our best days, can we all be honest and admit that's really hard? 
And on our worst days, it's an impossible task. But God knows that. Which is why he sent his Holy Spirit to help us accomplish by his power what we could never provide on our own. Because God sends his Holy Spirit not to simply come alongside us to assist us, but to actually live within us, making it possible for us to do what it is that Christ has called us to be able to provide. I think this is an in, um, adequate illustration, but I, God gave it to me this week, and I, I think it's the best way I can try to help us understand um, that the Holy Spirit not only is with us, but he's in us, is that sometimes in our special friends ministry, some of our friends that um, want to participate in our activities, they want to learn the Bible story, so there may be a craft that goes along with that or a fill-in-the-blank piece of paper, and they get to answer some of the Bible stories as it's being taught and told. And, and so sometimes, but our friends may not have the fine motor skills to be able to cut um, out some of the things in the craft or glue some of the things together or write some of the words uh, that go along with the story that is being told. And so our buddies who work and serve in the special needs ministry have been trained with something that is called hand-over-hand -hand therapy. And so our buddies will put their hands underneath the hand of one of our special friends, and they will then be able to allow them to feel what it looks like to write those words or to cut that paper or to glue those things so that they can participate in that activity and it can help be a more significant moment for their learning about what it is that God has done. Well, I believe in the same kind of way. Again, it's inadequate, okay? But I believe in the same kind of way we understand that this is what God has done for us through the gift of his Holy Spirit. That not only has he come alongside us to show us, but he actually lives within us doing some hand-over-hand -hand therapy through us so that we might be able to experience what God desires for us when we walk in obedience to Christ. Somebody say amen. amen. You with me? Like God is doing some hand-over-hand -hand through you and me, and it's by the power and through the gift of his Holy Spirit. Right, The Holy Spirit, not only with us, but he lives in us. And Jesus' promise is divine help. Here's the second promise that he makes. He promises divine presence. He promises divine presence. Now, I don't know if it's weird or not to have like a favorite of the three promises, but if it is, this is mine. And there's the confession. Look with me at verses 18 through 23. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. And in that day, you will know that I am in the Father and you in me and I in you. And whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. And Judas said to him, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he'll keep my word and my Father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. You remember I had you underline those words, we and our, in verse 23, because I told you that they explain the promise that Jesus made in verse 18. Well, that's because Jesus says something so powerful about his promise to not abandon us as orphans in verse 18, but rather the language of the New Testament is that in Christ Jesus, we have been adopted as children. And so we are not only not abandoned as orphans, but rather we have been adopted as children. And just like any good family, God has moved in with us. Amen. So um, a couple of times when, our, when we, we had our first few kids, 
Um, I, I know that sounds strange. We've, we've, we've got more than one, okay? okay? So when we had our first couple of babies, um, Mary's mom came and, and she moved in with us for a few weeks after the baby was born, which, if I'm being totally honest, when we had Catherine was such a necessity because the big thought I had leaving Las Colinas Medical Center with Catherine in her baby carrier was, what are you doing? We don't know what we're doing. We shouldn't be out of here. I was so freaked out. And Mary had this maternal thing that just kind of activated, and she seemed to be much more calm and knew what to do. But I couldn't believe they were giving us a human to raise. You know what I'm saying? So praise God, her mom came and spent a few days and helped us understand just some of the, you know, things about what it means to care for a real-life human in your home. So, and she moved in for a few weeks because she loves us. And, and you see, that's what, that's what Jesus said, that I'm not going to abandon you as orphans, but it's actually because of my love for you that I'm going to move in with you. I'm bringing my stuff, man. I'm going to move in and I'm going to take over and we're going to do this thing together. There's going to be some hand-over-hand therapy that is involved. And my motivation is my love because you are not an orphan. You have been adopted as a child who belongs to me. And some of you have gone through the ministry of adoption or foster care and you've seen that powerful moment on a family's face when the judge says signs the the order and and the child has been permanently placed with that family that has adopted him or her but i wonder if any of you have ever been in the room and seen a child who is old enough to know what's happening when the judge signs that order and they realize they are never without a home ever again now that's a moment to witness And that's what Jesus says. That's the language of the New Testament. In fact, Paul talks about this in several places. I'll show you just a few. Romans 8, he says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received, watch this, the capital Holy Spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. In Galatians, Paul wrote to the church and he said, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive as adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit, capital S, of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. One more place, Ephesians chapter uh, 2, verses 18 and 19. Paul says, For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with saints and members of the household of God. The promise of Jesus is not merely divine help, but it's divine presence. So if you hear nothing else today, hear this. If you are in Christ Jesus, you are in God's forever family. You've been adopted. And he's moved in, and he's taken over, and he brought his stuff so that you can figure out what it looks like to live the life that he has entrusted for you to live. Jesus promises divine help, divine presence, and lastly, divine peace. Look with me at verse 27. Jesus says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. And neither let them be afraid. Jesus says something here so significant that he tags a statement of confidence onto the end of it. Did you see that? He said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives. Now he's juxtaposing. There is an understanding that the world has of calmness. I would say it's peace. But my peace I give is different than that. 
And then he says this statement of confidence, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. So Jesus believes so much in this promise of peace that he ties a statement of confidence on a reason why we don't have to have troubled hearts and we don't have to be riddled with fear. And why is that? Because Jesus promises that peace is coming. Jesus promises that peace is coming. Now notice he didn't say, I might leave peace with you. Notice he doesn't say, I'll do my best to get you some peace. Notice that Jesus doesn't say, let's hope that it gets peaceful after I'm gone. Jesus says, peace is coming. And his confidence for no fear and no reason for troubled hearts is because the peace that Jesus provides is totally different from that of the world's. The world's version of peace, I would argue it's calmness, means only an absence of problems. And for those of us living right in the middle of it, how often is that the case? Right? We need look no further than this week and the tragedy that unfolded in Nashville. I've tried many times to think about this week what it would be like to be that pastor who lost his little girl and is entrusted to shepherd that church on the other side of that tragedy that so senselessly incurred. It's awful. How, how do you do that? How do you get up, open God's word, try to comfort and counsel? How, how do you go home and put your arm around your wife whose world has been destroyed? How do you do that? If you're counting on peace as only the absence of problems. If your understanding of peace is only when things are calm, you're missing what it is that Jesus has said. Because Jesus gives peace that is different than the world's. Jesus never says, my peace is the absence of problems. Jesus says, my peace is the promise of presence right in the middle of them. It is not the absence of conflict. It is the promise of presence. See, we're a people who spend all of our time without peace because we are convinced that we're seeking life with an absence of conflict. But Jesus says, I'm not promising you an absence of conflict, but I am promising you a presence in the middle of it. And so instead of looking for the absence of conflict, let's start running toward the presence of Jesus because that's where peace is really found. That's where peace is really found. And I think that's what Jesus means for us to understand here, is that's what's available through the supernatural gift that God gives, which is the sending of his Holy Spirit. Um, I think of it like this. Um, if you've ever taken your child to uh, the, the doctor when they have to get their shots updated or it's, ne it's, next, it's time for the next round of shots or whatever. So have you ever had that moment in the doctor's office when you're holding your child and the nurse comes in and, and your child is just young enough that they don't understand exactly what it is that's going to happen. And so they're sitting in your lap and they're looking at you and they love you and they're just so happy to be in your arms. <laughs> Y'all know what I'm talking about. And then the mood begins to change when the nurse lifts their sleeve and starts to use an alcohol wipe to clean their shoulder, right? And there's just now a look of calm and, and excitement and sweetness and tenderness to confusion because that's cold. Only for that nurse to then give that shot and your child to look at you as though you have betrayed them. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? 
Every time that happens, Mary's always like, it was her. She just sells that nurse out so fast. (laughs) But what happens as soon as the Band-Aid goes on? Then that child who looked at you as though you had betrayed them and who was devastated because things went from really sweet and really good to really harmful and things really began to hurt. As soon as the Band-Aid is on, that same child will jump in your arms and bury their head in your shoulder and begin to sob. Because despite the fact that there was pain in the moment, you proved that you would be there right in the middle of it. And I think that for some of you, you need to recognize you've been looking for far too long for moments in your life with no pain. But the promise of Jesus isn't an absence of conflict. It is the promise of his presence that he'll be there inevitably when it shows up. And then you can bury your head in the father's shoulder and you can weep. Because what is the language that we read in the New Testament a moment ago? Because we've been adopted as sons and we are children in the forever family of God, we can cry out and say, Abba, Father. Right? Because God has brought us into his family and called us his kids. And so there is a promise that Jesus gives to the church. It is a promise that is available to you and me. And that is that there is help and there is presence and there is peace. And so the question is, what do we do with Jesus? See, I'm, I'm thinking that today might be a day for some of us to be reminded because maybe we have forgotten of the supernatural gift that God gives through the divine help that he provides in the Holy Spirit that he sends. And if we haven't forgotten, then maybe we have quenched that help. Here's what I mean. Elsewhere in the New Testament, the Bible would say that it's possible for us to quench the Spirit. It's the idea that we would suppress the Spirit, that we wouldn't be listening to the Spirit, that we would no longer be leaning into the Spirit. And so as God seeks to prompt us, as he seeks to advocate and counsel and comfort and teach and guide, we've just sort of tuned that out. And so we have forgotten the supernatural gift of the divine help that God provides. And maybe today is a day for some of us to be reminded of the great gift that God gives us, and we need to listen more to the help that he provides. For others of you, today is a day where you need to be reminded of God's presence. There is divine presence that is available to you, meaning there is never a moment in any part of all of your life when you're alone. And you need to recognize that there's some hand-over-hand therapy that God wants to do through you. It's one thing to come alongside. It's another thing for God to live within. And, And then finally, I still think there are some who are here today. And the reason why things in your life feel chaotic and there feels like there is an absence of calm is because you are asking Jesus to promise no problems instead of trusting in Jesus for his promise of presence right in the middle of them. Jesus is your promised peace. He's your peace. And so maybe if you're here today and and there's a disconnect in any one of those things, maybe today is a day when you would call out to God and you need to pray with somebody or have somebody pray over you. In just a moment, I'm going to give you an invitation. There'll be an opportunity for you to come forward and, and to pray with us to let us know, man, I just needed the reminder today of the help that God gives me. I'm tired of not listening to that voice that exists within. I I needed today to be reminded that 
in those moments when I haven't been physically present, the paraclete has always been there. Today, I needed to be reminded that I've been spending too much of my time and energy and effort asking God to take away my problems instead of trusting in God to be my presence in the middle of them. And Jesus is my peace. Maybe today is a day when you begin a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Maybe today is a day when you would say, hey, I want to join Prestonwood Church. I want to link arms with these brothers and sisters. And by that same power of the Holy Spirit, then together we can pursue whatever it is that God has called us to go and to, to do. Maybe you need to be baptized. Is that possible that you have made a profession of faith, you have a relationship with God, but you've never followed through in believer's baptism? Guess what? Friday night, as a part of our Good Friday service, we're baptizing. And we would love to celebrate your baptism with you. So in just a moment, I'm going to pray. And when I say amen, we'll stand and we will sing worship to God. And you will have an invitation, an opportunity to come forward and grab the hand of a volunteer or a staff member and to pray with us about any decision that God has led you to make. Let's pray together now. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for who you are and all that you've done. Father, thank you for the gift of help. Thank you for the promise of presence. And thank you through Jesus for the provision of peace. God, may we no longer be guilty of seeking after life without conflict, but may we be quick to rush and rest in the promise of presence in the middle of it. God, forgive our sin. Cause us to be more like your son. Thank you for loving us and never leaving us nor forsaking us. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.